All right. I think we could start and then everyone joining when it's time. Good morning or afternoon or evening. For people that are here, good morning. <laughs> good afternoon. For people that would listen to the recording, good um good day <laughs> whenever you listen to this. Hope we're doing hope we're doing well. Um thank you as always for being on time and thank you for joining this morning so as usual um i'm sure by now we already know what we're doing today is our last day in the book of galatians right so we we started um the first four chapters and today we're going to do our best to conclude the book of Galatians and and see where we we could go um, from there. So as usual, just by way of introduction, um, I always encourage that you try to read the chapters beforehand. It, it, it will probably help to follow through. Um, what we usually do is after the end of every chapter, I leave space for any question or reflections or anything you want me to to do. I'm sorry to go over again. Um, yes, of course, Zoom rules. <laughs> Keep yourself muted unless you want to ask a question, which you'd raise your hand and then I'll ask you to unmute and all of that, just to, for the sake of order and for the integrity of the recording as well. So with all that being said, I think we could pray and start. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for another day. Thank you. For the year so far, thank you for February, that's already even coming to an end. Thank you for the journey through the epistles. Thank you for the book of Galatians. Thank you for all we've learned. Thank you for bringing us to the last two chapters of this book. Thank you for all we're going to learn today. I pray that um, we're able to apply these truths to our lives. And as Paul has um, labored to write, I pray that we're able to see you as our only means of salvation. I pray that we're able to trust in you and you alone. I pray that we're able to remind ourselves that in in and of ourselves, there is nothing we can do to earn righteousness. And you teach us to rejoice in the fact that you died for us in the fact that you made a way for us to be counted as sons and daughters thank you lord i pray this clarity today questions are answered doubts are dissolved and truth is revealed in your word amen glory to god all right so by way of recap i don't know if i should turn my video to make much of a difference and i don't want you to be able to see my <laughs> anyways that's 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 fine um so far uh we one of the things i said when we started galatians is the fact that i want this or all all we're doing to serve two purposes number one is yes you get the get to understand the text better and number two is that you yourself would learn how to read biblical text right so um, you would be able to understand how 
to how did we arrive at these conclusions? How can I read in context? How can I learn to handle scripture the way they did? So in one on one hand, you're actually learning the direct message behind what you're reading. But on the other hand, it's meant to be a platform or a, a training, if you like, to also learn how to read. And that's 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 one of the things, that's one of the major reasons of um this whole process. So, so far, by way of recap, Galatians 1 to 4, of course, by now we know Paul wrote the book, was writing to the churches in the province of Galatia. And we emphasize that the reason he, he wrote this letter was so important because it establishes the key theme that flowed through the entire book. So, you see, um, Paul is writing... Because certain people were teaching that you needed to become Jewish to be saved. So the idea is that God, um, the promises were given to Israelites, right? And so all Jesus did was make a way for Gentiles to become Israelites. And so after receiving Christ, you then have to become Jewish, meaning you have to get circumcised. You have to start eating a certain way and all of that before you could be saved basically in summary the sacrifice of christ was not enough you needed to do that and become jewish and so i explained why this was important because basically the the issue at hand had to deal with an essential and so far one of the things i've said is that once an essential doctrine of christ is in the picture the epistles teach us to contend, right? Jude 3, um, Paul writing here, we did not put up with them for even an hour. We're taught to contend as long as it has to do with what Christ has done or how it relates to us or our eternal destinies. It's no more a matter of no wahala. I can bear with you. You have to establish truth. Amen. And so we, we looked at how so far Paul would labor to start by establishing the authenticity of his apostleship. So pay attention to the, to, the, to the flow of what Paul is trying to do so far. So first he tries to establish the authenticity of his apostleship. He moves on to establish the authenticity of the gospel message. Right, And I told you that he proves the authenticity by showing that, number one, he was commissioned by God and not man. He gives his conversion story. He shows how even the church leaders accepted him. And last week, we saw the final way he proved this by teaching that even scriptures pointed to this gospel. So it wasn't something that he originated with. Originated um, with right so that's the whole flow so far he's just trying to prove that this is not my idea guys this has always been what is and then he now starts to dive into the heart of the matter he talks about the fact that when it comes to justification there are two mutually exclusive parts you can't have both right you can't have both you can't take a flight to the u.s and to the uk at the same time you choose one and that's what he's saying you choose either the law or you choose christ galatians 2 16. his point is that through christ we no longer live to the law so just a few verses that should have stood out to you by now 
as we've gone through so far. Galatians 2.21 I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So important. In Galatians 3 and 4 that we looked at last week, and all of this is just by way of summary, um, we see how Paul begins to use scripture to validate his position. He talks about how the gospel was preached to Abraham. And I, I did a little breakdown to show you that what were the elements of the gospel? Number one, through Jesus. Number two, for all. And number three, received by faith. If those three elements are there, what you have is the gospel's message. And what did God tell Abraham in Genesis um, 12 verse 3, Genesis 15 verse 6? In you, meaning in your seed, in Jesus, shall all the nations, meaning both Jews and Gentiles, be blessed. And we explained what that blessing was. The blessing was the receiving of the promised spirit by faith or righteousness by faith. So what God pretty much told Abraham was that through Jesus, who would come from your lineage, there would be a way for everyone, regardless of what nation they be belong to, to be declared righteous by faith. Amen. So that's why Paul can come thousands of years later to say the gospel was preached to Abraham. And we'll look at this more in Hebrews, but it's, it's important you take note of that. We looked at, of course, what the promises of Abraham was. We looked at the fact that the sons of Abraham are those who share in his faith. And then we start to see Paul skillfully use scripture. Remember one of the first things I said in our very first meeting, that one of the reasons the epistles are so valuable is because they teach us how the very first Christians read the Old Testament. And so, when you're reading Genesis to Malachi, you're not just looking for convenient stories or convenient catchphrases to just see you through a particular situation. Yes, there are lessons to learn from life stories. That's not what I'm... I'm not saying they aren't. There are lessons to learn by reading the stories of people. But more importantly, is the theological revelation behind the scriptures. There's a reason... Genesis to Malachi formed the bedrock of everything that was taught in Matthew to Revelation. It's because they are saying the same thing. And so even in the scripture, you see God's promise or the gospel being preached at different times. Hebrews 11, sorry, Hebrews 1 would say God in diverse times and in diverse manners spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He has in this last day spoken to us in his son. What that would mean is that the very thing that God was speaking to us now in Christ, he has been saying it through the prophets. Remember, we looked at all of this. I don't want to spend too much time. Please get the recording if you want this um, explained more or reach out to me. So we saw that through the scriptures, Paul was able to prove that everyone who doesn't obey the law till the end is cursed, number one. Number two, Christ became that curse. Number three, scriptures already prophesied that life will come through faith, right? The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2 verse 4. And then Paul also uses the same scripture to prove that the way of the law is not the way of, the, of faith. Because the law says the man who does these things will live by them. Leviticus 18 verse 5. 
So what Paul just uses, what Paul does is that he uses the same Old Testament that the same Jewish people that have issues will contend with to prove that even the Old Testament or the scripture of his day teaches that the way of the law is not the way of faith. Amen. And so he goes on to then talk about how the promise was given before the law, right? We looked at all of that. So if I, I the analogy I gave, and you can keep this in mind, if I promise to buy, let's say, my son a bicycle next week, Friday, and then today is Saturday, so he can be excited. Oh, my dad is going to buy me a bicycle on Friday. It's a promise. It's not hinged on him. It's not hinged on his performance. It's hinged on my integrity to be faithful to that promise. But if on Wednesday, I now say, you know, son, I've been thinking, you've not really been doing well in school. Let's do this instead. Unless you get a certain grade, I'm not going to get you the bicycle anymore. That is very unfair. I'm not a man of my word. And that is what Paul is saying people are doing when they think the law, God gave the law as a means to righteousness. His point was that God promised Abraham. He had not, he, Abraham didn't ask God for anything. God just woke up one day and said, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It was a promise. And what is a promise? It is hinged on the integrity of the one who makes the promise to fulfill. It has nothing to do with me. It's all on the person who makes the promise. And that is what Paul is saying. The integrity of God is on the line when it comes to making righteousness accessible simply because you received it. If God can come 430 years later to say, you know what, you human beings, I don't trust you guys, so let's do it another way instead. He won't be a person or a God of integrity. That's what, that's what Paul is arguing. That the law cannot because of the very nature of the fact that it was already given as a promise, the law cannot come 430 years later to nullify everything that God had said earlier. And so it makes no sense to then look at the law as a means to achieve that promise. Amen. It would be like my son starting to now say, ah, Daddy, let me wash plates. Let me do so that you will buy my I've already promised you. It's almost insulting. Are you saying that if you now that you do so and i won't i won't fulfill my pro i've already promised you i've already promised you that's the idea that's the idea right and then he now goes on to then answer the question so if that's not what the law was given for what then was it given for and last week we then started to see that the law had number one a purpose number two a duration very important what was the purpose of the law? It was to reveal the sin nature of man. It was to reveal the need for the promise. Right? If anything, you can think about it like the law will be like asking my son to walk everywhere around for a week. Very weak analogy, but it's the best thing I think of at the moment. That okay, between now and Friday, before your bicycle comes, just just walk around everywhere you want to go. Don't borrow your sister's bicycle, just be walking. So that when the bicycle finally comes, you would appreciate the feeling of being able to ride to places and not walk in there. That's kind of what is going on, right? The law was given so that the Jews will be painfully aware of the fact that they cannot meet up to God's righteous standards. 
and he calls it his schoolmaster which i explained in greek days was literally someone who would take the child from the house to the school once he gets to the school he, he, he hands over the child and goes back that's his purpose right and so that's the same thing the law was doing hold the hands of the jews lead them to christ and it has served its purpose so when the purpose of a thing is not known what's the popular phrase abuse is inevitable if you don't know what the why the law was given you will not apply it well we'll see that again in in first timothy i believe so we looked at all of that last week we looked at hagar and sarah how even in the scriptures there was when even the same abraham had two options he could either um, achieve the promises of god in the flesh which he tried with hagar and ishmael or he could do it by trusting god which is the promised child isaac and sarah and paul goes on to conclude that we are children of the free woman i hope i tried so that's a summary of galatians 1 to 4 so far and today we are going to start to conclude Paul basically is going to so start to pay attention to how Paul is going to round up. So these are the things he has done so far. He has labored to, to explain, to teach. Literally, we've just taken a small dive into a Bible study session with Paul. And now Paul is going to start to conclude. A question that might be in the minds of many people of their time is, Okay, Paul, you've showed us that you can't claim to be saved by Christ and then turn to the law. So... What next? How do I live? What happens? Right? If the law has served this purpose, what next? And that is what Paul is going to address in this last two chapters. Life in Christ. Amen. So, if you haven't already, get your Bibles, get your notepads, get your pen, your highlighter, whatever you might need to keep in mind everything we're going to start. I'll be reading from the NKJV, Galatians 5 verse 1 let's go all right it says stand first and um, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage again we see this word liberty pop up and i explained this when we're in galatians 2 verse 4 where paul talks about false brethren coming in to spy out our liberty right and I told you that the idea of liberty and the idea of bondage, liberty is not just, oh, I'm free, I'm free, I can't do anything, I'm free. No, liberty is freedom from the impossible demands of attaining righteousness, freedom from that weight, that, that realization that there's nothing I can do to end God's righteousness, freedom from those demands, freedom from striving in your flesh in your effort that's liberty it's a it's in a context it's not just i can i, I can do anything i can do all things that, that's not what liberty is and bondage conversely would be bondage would refer to the power of sin the power of sin that was made aware through the law or the power of sin that makes a man aware of his inability to live up to god's and that is bondage right it is sin taking advantage of the law to keep you bound in your own efforts does that make sense and so i explained that it is it's not do as you please it's not do as you please there is a context and that's why it says stand therefore in that liberty don't be entangled again meaning 
Christ has made it possible for you to be righteous by trusting him. Stay there. Don't start looking to go back into, um, let me, you know, let me just, let me just add a little, let me do a little more. Maybe God, I, I don't know what you're even looking for. If Christ has done it, what exactly are you trying to do? That's what Paul is saying. He goes on, he says, indeed, I, Paul, say to you, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Right? I, I think that that's obvious. If you want to do it of your own accord. And now he's saying if you become circumcised as a means to salvation. Because Timothy got, I, I explained all of this already. Timothy got circumcised, right? And there was a reason. It was not as a means to salvation. It was to aid ministry among the Jews. So pay attention. That's not what he's not saying. If you, if today a person that was never circumcised decides to get circumcised, he can know. He's saying if you turn to circumcision as a means to salvation, then Christ, I mean, you are trying to do it yourself and do it with Christ. It can't work. He's explained that already. Verse 3, he says, I testify again, any man who becomes circumcised is a debtor to keep the whole law. You see what he's saying? It's the same, it's the same idea. He, he's pretty much doing a recap. If you choose the way of the law, you have to go the way of the law. It's, it's, you go the whole way. You can't, you can't mix paths. It's not possible. He says you have become estranged from Christ. Right, you who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. And I'll just read a commentary in my Bible. I love how he put this. It says, The effective operating power of God's grace becomes ineffective in the life of anyone who trusts in his own efforts for salvation. I'll say that again. The effective operating power of God's grace becomes ineffective in the life of anyone who trusts in his own efforts for salvation. And that's what Paul is saying. That the moment you try to be justified by the law, you cannot be justified by grace. Right? And this is a, it's a, it's one of the, the few difficult verses, if I might say, in this chapter, in this book, for several reasons. It brings up the conversation, does that mean a believer can fall from grace and then decide to, if I've chosen Christ, can I say I don't want Christ and um, I want the law? Am I, is he talking to true believers? Is he talking to professing believers? And we'll, we'll, we'll come back to it after verse 10. But I just want you to be aware that those kind of conversations happen when people read this verse. And we'll try to see what Paul is saying. Is he teaching that Christians can or believers can fall away from grace as they wish. You can fall away, fall back, you just be falling. No. But let's 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 see, let's see what he's saying. In verse five, he says, "For we already that should start to to let you know what's what's going on." He says in verse four, he was saying, "For you, you who attempt to be justified by the law." In verse five, he now says, "For we." You can already see the separation, but we'll come back to it after verse ten. In verse 5, it says, For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. That is the liberty. The fact that through the Spirit, we anticipate to be justified before God. Amen. And it, it makes you wonder, like, 
This is such a big deal. The goal of everything we've been talking about in the book of Galatians is just so that you'll be declared righteous. And I was explaining to a few people last week, I believe, that at the end of the day, you'd realize that all of this is a means to an end. Because it's not that, oh, I'm going to be declared righteous. Now what? Right? I don't know if you ever think about that. I'm saved. Now what? Was that the, the end? That was the ultimate goal of, of God for humanity. I will just save them. And that's it. No. Even when we're declared righteous, it was a means to something. To restore fellowship with God, with our creator, with the person who created and loves us. Amen. So you see that all through the scriptures, you see the idea that true living, right? And I don't even mean Christian living. True living is found when you are connected to the source, to your source or connected to your maker. It's the idea in which you can use a phone to the fullest when you understand how to use it. Some people would buy an iPhone 12 Pro Max and all they use it for is to make calls. That is a serious underutilization. We talk about underemployment today. That is the same thing. You cannot. It's it's amazing. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to drag some adults I know, <laughs> mom and dad. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but you get the idea. You there is an there is a sense in which unless you truly are connected to the source of your to your maker or you are you are you 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 abide by the regulations of the boundaries through which you were created you cannot experience life in its fullest and so you see the idea of even when this comes up in conversations around heaven and hell that ultimately what is the idea basically one group is simply choosing to be reconciled with their maker and to spend all eternity under his love under his care under his influence under that goodness basically they are choosing to live life the way god designed it and then there's another group who chooses autonomy that god i don't care how you want me to live my life i don't care that you created me I want to choose to do things the way I want to do. And God simply says to them, have it your way. And so that's now the idea of an eternity without any influence of God at all. We can't even picture it because even today we still experience the graces of God, whether you believe in him or not. Right? Matthew would say God causes the rain and the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. Right, unbelievers can walk in good health. That is it. That is an influence of God. People can still experience things like joy, love, happiness, friendship. Right, even whether you believe in Him or not, God is the source of all that goodness. So when you strip all that away, a world devoid of love, a world devoid of care, of compassion, kind of like the devil, a world that is only regulated by selfishness, by death, by evil. That is hell, <laughs> right? It's a world in which God says to people that choose to live apart from him, and he says, your will be done. And that is the idea. So it's not just God just say, oh, just be righteous. And so that's the end of the matter. No, we were made righteous and called into fellowship with the one who created us, that we'll spend the rest of our lives, whether it's on earth or in the life beyond, 
in fellowship with God, in fellowship with people who also love God, under that influence, that, that love, those, the genuineness that it restores to relationships, that care, that compassion, that new creation. So literally, God called us to live. It's not just, oh, I've saved you and that's the end. Just, just be reading your Bible and be praying. Or maintain, you have to maintain, like you can maintain your salvation. It's more than that. We were called to experience life in God. And to share that experience with family. Of course, by family, I mean Christian family. Amen. But it's just something, I know I said great a bit. Galatians doesn't really, or so far we haven't really talked about it Galatians is still going to talk about it but there's that idea and you'll see Paul start to do that in more epistles even after explaining the length to which God went through to saving you he now starts to explain what that life would look like how that how where do you go from here amen so that's Galatians 5 5 I had it I had to divert it a bit, but it's important so that we, we bear this in mind. In verse 6, what does he now say? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. And so the point there is that it's not about your actions, it's not about the efforts you put into it. It's Jonathan Edwards that said. Um, the only thing we contributed to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary. We contribute nothing. We just received what God did. And that's what he's saying. Whether you circumcise, whether you don't circumcise, it means nothing. What you do to end God's righteousness, it means nothing in Christ. It's only faith, right? Working through love. And we're going to see this idea in many of Paul's episodes because... Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And so in many of his congregations, there was this um, conflict, there was this tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. How do we live together? How as a Gentile can I, can I live for God but not become, I don't have to become, how does that look like? And Paul is going to talk about this more and more and more. And what he's saying is, it's simply faith working through love. A faith that is made effectual or a faith that is evidenced by the operation or by demonstrations of love. And now you might want to highlight faith working through love or just love. This is actually the first time in the book of Galatians Paul mentions the word love, right? He's about to introduce a new theme. These are little things that you should pay attention to, right? This is the first time he's going to use that word. For instance, when we've been talking about liberty, if you want to bear in mind just some ways to understand, go through the book. Look at where, everywhere that he uses a particular word. It will help you understand how he uses that word better. So it's the same thing with love. This is the first time love is mentioned in Galatians. And where does it? where is it mentioned? He's, it is mentioned as an expression of faith. So if you have faith in Christ, we will start to see it in your love. Amen. So he's about to start a new theme. But let's read on. Verse 7, he says, You ran well. Who hindered you? Meaning, who, who is trying to hold you back from obeying the truth? It says, This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. It's not from God. Right? This teaching, it can't be from God. And he says, A little leaven, right? Leaveneth 
the whole lump. And he's basically talking about how easily falsehood or false teachings can spread. Paul uses the same proverb in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 6. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 6. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. This just little inconsistencies with the core message of the gospel here and there. It can spread to start to have undesirable effects. That is why you need to pay attention. That's why you see that Paul said we didn't allow them even for an hour. Because a little leaven can mess up the whole thing. Just one false teaching about Christ, the implications will be so great, you will not recognize it as Christianity again. That's what he's trying to say. In verse 10, he says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. For he who troubles you will bear his judgment, whoever, whoever he is. And remember I said we're going to go back to verse 4 after verse 10. So pay attention. Paul has already talked about, it's almost as though he's giving up on them or something like that. But that's not what's happening. At the end of everything he has said, what does he now say? I have confidence that you will have no other mind. Meaning, you will not be led astray to believe that you need to be circumcised to be saved. Some people might, but I don't believe any of you will. And it's so important you take note of what just went on here because as you go on through the episodes, questions about this falling away or not falling away thing, you start to see answers when you take note of texts like this. Usually, statements of falling away are almost always accompanied by statements of assurance. It's a common pattern. So it's almost like Paul is suggesting for, for those already in Christ, he's confident that this won't happen to them. It's the same thing in Philippians 1. I'm confident that he who has begun a good work, Philippians 1.6, will perform it till the day of Christ. So you'll be asking, why can Paul speak so confidently about their convictions? He's trusting God to keep them from turning away from truth. Pay attention to that usage, that mode or that, that, that line of reasoning. And so, for instance, we're not going to Hebrews today, but for, for instance, in verses like Hebrews 6, very hotly debated, if, you, if you've tasted of God, this, that, that, you do all this and you fall away, you can't be renewed to repent. And like, ah, that's the end. If I drop out of Christ today, one way ticket, I'm going to hell. Is that, read on, read on. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 9. But beloved, we are what? confidence of better things concerning you yes things that accompany salvation though we speak in this manner did you see that it's the same mode of speaking yes would establish this reality that if you turn away from christ to choose the law you've made what jesus did of null effect but what does paul say i'm confident that you would stay in the truth Look at Hebrews 10, another very controversial, I'm going to look at this when we get to Hebrews, a very controversial um, verse, verse 26, if we sing willfully, some of you might have heard this, after I've received the knowledge of truth, there's no more sacrifice of sin. Now look at what he says in verse 39, but we are not of those who draw back, but we are of those who believe. 
So there is always that that um, that distinction. Every time you see some sort of message relating to the idea of maybe persevering or falling away, call it whatever you want. Whoever is writing always makes it clear that ultimately we believe that you will stand. And it makes you now wonder, why can they speak so sure? Why? And this is how you read scripture. You don't just read it and say, ah, if we fall away, there's no way back. Read on, read on, read on. Yes, the Bible may sometimes make certain hard statements, but when you read the whole context, you can start to bear in mind what is going on. What are the implications? Why would they talk like this? Why would Paul say, I'm confident? What was going through his mind when he says, I'm confident? Even John, to make you know that it's not a Paul or the writer of Hebrews kind of thing. First John 2, what does it say? Um, from verse 18, it goes on to talk about the Antichrist. They would come to teach false teachings about Christ. But what does he say in verse 20? First John 2, 20. But, but, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. All things in a context. We'll get to the idea of all things in Romans 8. But all things refers to the things pertaining to Christ. Right? You know truth. Look at what it says in the next verse. I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth. You know the truth. Look at what he says in 1 John 2.27. The anointing you've received from him abides in you. You don't need anyone to teach you. would explain what that means. Just bear with me for glossing over it because of time. It is but the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. And it is true. It's not a lie. Just as it has taught you, you will. <laughs> it's almost like Paul is, um, John is like, you will abide in him. So even though John makes the reality of um, false teachings about Jesus in his prevalence in his day, he acknowledges it. What does he say? He says, you have the Holy Spirit. I don't expect you to be led away because you know that indeed Jesus is God. Jesus has put his spirit in your heart. And he says, I'm confident you will abide in the truth. The same language. So you don't just read verse 4, Galatians 5 verse 4. If you decide to be justified, you're falling from it. Ha! Christians can fall from grace. I, 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 read on. Read on. Read on. Amen. Amen. So that is, that, that, that's the idea that the believer can have confidence in God's ability to keep him. That's the focus. Or that's the summary of the whole matter. That the believer can trust in God's ability to keep him. The implication of that then, I would explore this thing more in Hebrews, because that's the reason the book of Hebrews was written. You know, the, the entire book was written just to, on everything I've said. But the implication then would be that just because someone identifies in a Christian community and then decides to leave doesn't mean that the word of God fails. More often, or almost invariably, it simply means that the person was not necessarily one who originally or faithfully trusted in Christ to begin with. Because the idea is if you trust in Christ, Paul is confident that you will be of one mind. You will not be led away by stuff like this. Do you get the point? So we would explore this theme a lot more when we get to other books that really dive into the idea of, of this whole falling away or not falling away. But that's the idea. That they have already we start to see scripture just teaching that those who trust in Christ 
we can be confident. So I, the same way, I can look at anyone on this call, whether it's CJK or Tamilor or Miriam, and say, I'm confident that you will not turn away from Christ to be justified by the law. I can be confident. I don't know you. I don't know. I mean, I know you, but I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how you're living your life. But I can be confident that if indeed you have trusted in Christ, I can trust the power of God to keep you. Amen. That is how Paul talked. That is how John talked. That is how the writer of Hebrews talked. That is how we should talk even today. Amen. All right. I, I, I needed to emphasize that even though it was not a major theme in this book, so that it's, it's there to start with and we start to see it as we, as we go on. Let's go on, verse 11. I'll start to speed up because of time. If, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. If possible, underline that phrase. The offense, the offense of the cross. So there seems to be an idea in which some people in Galatia went as far as even accusing Paul that of teaching circumcision, <laughs> right? I think what you find in more, many theological circles is that some would say that maybe among the Jews, Paul would teach circumcision among the Gentiles or stuff like that. But basically, they were accusing Paul of inconsistency. And Paul is saying, if that's the case, then why are they persecuting, <laughs> why are they persecuting me? The offense of the cross. What would be the offense of the cross? The offense of the cross is the fact that it requires no effort on the part of the one receiving not baptism, not circumcision, not even conduct. That is the offense. What makes the cross offensive to people is that people generally would want to brag or feel like they did something to earn. Like, ah, at long last. Heaven, heaven at last. <laughs> it was a rough journey, but I ran the race. I did all that I needed to do. And now, God, you have to let me in. That is a typical mindset that a lot of people would want to, to, to want to, to tend towards. They want to boast that, ah, it was a stressful journey, but I made it. I made it. That is what makes the cross offensive. The fact that it strips everyone of the ability to brag. It strips everyone of the ability to boast. Immediately, we all become on the same level ground beneficiaries of grace it doesn't matter where you were who you were what you were doing we all could not do it that is the offense of the cross that to people who may still be trusting their own ability it strips them of that identity that bragging right that is what makes the cross offensive the word offense is literally the word scandalon in the greek it's, the, it's where we got the word scandal so when so it's not today, it's not today that the grace message started sounding scandalous. <laughs> Even since Paul's day. In fact, the word he used to describe it was scandal, where we got scandal from. So it's 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 not today. Amen. So he goes on and says, I wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves. Let them just let them just let them just go away. It's it's causing so much problems. And he says, For you, brethren, you have been called to liberty again you see the word and i'm not going to go over it again you understand what liberty means by now you've been called to liberty now go, he goes on only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love 
serve one another. Can you see love popping up again? So in verse 6, we realize that faith works through love. In verse 13, he's saying it again, that that love will be evidenced in how we serve one another. So the liberty we've been called to in Christ, it influences the way we relate with one another. He goes on, he says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And now he's beginning to answer questions that may be in the thoughts of many. People that might ask, what now? What is he basically saying? If the liberty we've been called to in Christ teaches us to serve one another in love. So if you do that, you would realize that the liberty in Christ is really not in contrast with the demands of the law. Because the whole point of the law was to teach people to love God and love their neighbor. And what Paul is saying that in Christ or in in the liberty that Christ offers, we are taught to love one another. So there's no contrast. Amen. That's why he now says in verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, meaning if you choose to let liberty be an offense to the flesh, if you choose not to, to love one another, what will happen? You'll be consumed by one another. It doesn't help anyone. Amen. So he's simply, he's starting to, to deviate. He is done with the entire doctrinal defense of righteousness by faith. Now he's starting to move into its implications in your life. He's saying, oh yeah, yes, you are free in Christ. But that freedom is to be regulated by love. The freedom is to be regulated by love. And you find out that that is the summary of the law in the first place. What does he now do in verse 16? I say then, so now he's starting to go at it from a practical standpoint. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, these are two mutually exclusive things. And there are certain things in the Bible that are explicit like this, where you know it's one of two. You choose to walk in the Spirit, or if not, you will fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's similar to what Jesus said in Mark 14, 38. You don't watch and pray, you will fall into temptation. It's, it's, these are principles. If you throw something, whatever goes off must come down, right? If you don't pray, a believer who doesn't pray will fall into temptation. It's that clear. The same way, a believer who walks in the Spirit will not fulfill the laws of the flesh. It's that clear. Things like Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. But by prayer. But by prayer. So if you are still worried or anxious, you have not done the but. Meaning you have not prayed enough. These are very, very clear things that have practical implications on our lives. So if you check yourself, I'm fulfilling the loss of the flesh. What do you do? Check it. Have I been walking in the Spirit? If you find yourself falling into temptation, check it. Have I been praying? If you find yourself being anxious, check it. You've not prayed enough. These are clear principles that, that, that guide our practical everyday life. Amen. So that's what he's doing now. He's trying to explain what does Christian liberty look like. We've been called to freedom, but what does freedom look like? It's freedom to what? To walk in the Spirit. Amen. The word walk there is paripateo. I'm not Greek. I don't claim to be Greek. I'm not even a Greek scholar. So 
pardon me but the the idea means so the, the idea there is from for instance from where you get what perimeter right to walk around something to circumference something it means to your it, it's referring to the entire body of work so basically the idea of walking in the spirit is the idea of an entire christian life regulated by the spirit does that make sense so he's saying if you allow the spirit to regulate your life you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh he goes on in verse 17 for the flesh lost against the spirit right the flesh desires things that the spirit doesn't the spirit desires things that the flesh doesn't two and he says these are contrary to one another so you do not do the things that you wish there will always be that constant struggle right you are either at all times you are either influenced by the spirit or the flesh paul is simply saying choose the spirit both would always fight for your attention whichever one you choose the other one will be pulling you that ah, you can't do this if you want to pray your flesh will say no do not pray if you don't want to pray your spirit will say please pray so the spirit desires things the flesh doesn't the flesh desires things the spirit doesn't so that at all times as christians we find that constant struggle or that constant tension i don't want to use the word struggle that's a negative connotation that constant tension that there is the spirit there is the flesh and he's simply appealing to walk in the spirit he says what but if you are led by the spirit that word in the greek literally means to take someone's hand and lead them it means if you are led by the spirit meaning if you walk in the spirit you are not under the law so to be led by the spirit would be to to live a life where you consistently refuse the lust of the flesh by the spirit so the spirit we are led by the spirit to walk in the spirit so the spirit leads us to resist to say no to you can think about it like this the flesh is saying ah, come now if you if you've gone to and this is a nigerian um um example for those that maybe haven't been to nigeria there's a place called balogu market or even just markets in general and you're walking around and you're like ah fine boy fine girl come now <laughs> some people go ahead and touch you i find that to be very rude but it happens and then let's say imagine if, when i was younger my mom would just grab my hand don't mind them let's go that's what he's saying the spirit is leading you to resist to say no to the inclinations of the flesh and so a person led by the spirit is a person who constantly refuses the loss of the flesh by the agency of the spirit and since if that is your case you are not under the law so pay attention to what it means to be led by the Spirit. A lot of times we read things like this and we think it refers to, oh, um, the Spirit is just leading me um, to do different things. Oh, take this job, don't take this job, therefore I'm led by the Spirit. Yes, there is a context in which God actually leads his children by his Spirit. But in Galatians 5, also in Romans 8, as many that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The leading there is led to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. It's a pay attention to the context. Pay attention to the context. And why are you not under the law? Because the, the law would never, if you were under the law, you would not be able to live above the flesh. The law in itself, it only tells you what to do. There is no ability or enabling factor in the law for you to live 
above flesh. So anyone you see consistently living above the flesh, he can't be doing it by the law. There has to be a different agency at work. The spirit. The spirit. So there's that contrast. If you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. It's a clear contrast. Amen. He now says the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness or licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things or those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I don't want to to spend some because we don't have so much time. But when you look through these things, look look at what he mentions. These are things that affect the individual, but they also affect the relationship with people. Remember, he's starting to talk about loving one another, serving one another in love. And so you start to see things like jealousy, contention, strife, wrath, their selfishness, idolatry. These are things that happen when you decide to give yourself over to the inclination of the flesh. I explained a bit about this in the idea of the whole um, a life without God, a life with God. So the idea of picturing life outside the influences of God. This is what you start to see. And it says, those that practice those things, and the word there in the Greek is praso. It literally means to practice, to, to make a habitual practice. So it's not really a one-time, a one-time thing. Because I've, I've, I've been, I've been um, asked questions sometimes. Oh, if a Christian um, commits, or if a Christian does any of these things listed in verse 19 to 21, Does that mean he falls into that category? No. Remember, Paul is making a distinction from people who walk in the flesh and walk in the spirit. And he's saying, those who do these things, meaning those who are led, in quotes, by the flesh, or those who make a habitual lifestyle to walk in the flesh, this should not be the reality of any Christian. Amen. He says, they do not inherit the kingdom of God. But what does he say in verse 22? (coughs) The fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> Sorry, my my <clears throat> It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit. And but is probably my next favorite word in the New Testament. After therefore. I think you can take a small assignment and everywhere the word but pops up in the book of Galatians. Just, or even as you read your Bible, just underline it. Or whenever you're reading it to yourself, shout the but. Like when you read it and it says but, just read it to yourself. But the fruit of the Spirit. I love the contrast that but usually gives from explaining the reality of the old man and the reality of the new. Or the reality of life under the law or life in the flesh and life in the Spirit. So now he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Meaning, if you walk in the Spirit, these are the things that would start to show. And I love the fact that he used the word fruit. He, it was not that, ah, I don't, Paul is not saying, I don't want to use works again. Let me add a little flavor. Let me spice up my writing. It was intentional, right? Remember, they know they are passing across divine revelation. So 
they are very intentional to the words they used. And so he uses the idea of a fruit. What do you think of when you think of a fruit? You think of the agency of life, right? A fruit is something that proves. When you see a fruit growing on a tree, it proves that the tree has life. The fruit in itself doesn't have the ability to exist of its own. It comes from a certain source. It always has a source. And it, you see a fruit, it, it grows, right? It, it's, it's, it's refreshing, it's delicious. I mean, have you tried Agbalumo before? I mean, that, that, that is a fruit. <laughs> Amen. So, the idea is, you look at a Christian, you look at a believer who practices these things, and you know that there is a source, there is an agency at work, the agency of the Spirit within him that is producing these things. That is why he chooses the word fruit. So you see someone and he goes and says, love, joy, peace, patience, or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. So you see a believer who is led by the Spirit to walk in the Spirit. These are the things that we start to see in their lives. And when you see those things, it would point to the fact that there is an inner working in him that the law could not produce. Do you get what he's saying? Does that make sense? You could leave a thumbs up. I want to be sure that everything I've said so far makes sense. Does, is, that, is that fair? Or you could type in the chat. Yes, awesome, awesome. Okay, good, 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 good. So, and he says, against such, there is no law. Of course, do you see why he would say this? Because in verse 14, he said the same thing. The law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what he's basically trying to do at this point, it will be especially helpful for Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians who might ask, what now? He's teaching you that if you live by the Spirit, you are going to live, you're not going to violate any law. In fact, you're actually fulfilling the law of love. That's why he, that's why he pointed out against such there is no law. What does he now say? And those who are in Christ have done what? Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's why I told you that verse 19 to 21 should not be the reality of any Christian because he has crucified the flesh. So learn to speak the word of God. And I'll deviate a bit again, but it's necessary. This is your reality. Paul says the man in Christ has crucified the flesh. What does he now say in verse 25? If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So the idea there is you've crucified, meaning you've put to death the flesh, and now you live in the Spirit. So this is what um, we, we, we've come to know in modern theology as legal or vital truth or um, experiential um, versus actual um, revelation the idea in which in christ whether you feel like it or not you are forgiven in christ whether you feel like it or not you are righteous in christ whether you feel like it or not the flesh has been crucified but it never stops there there is a place in which we bring this to reality in our day-to-day experiences so what is paul saying you now live in the spirit that is a it's a reality it's the reality of the christian life you live in the spirit so what do you do 
you take the reality of what the word shows you and you decide by the help of the spirit to walk accordingly does that make sense so it's basically saying this is who you are live like it live like it live like it and what you will start to notice for instance so this is where paying attention to the original language helps the, the word walk in verse 25 is not the same word walk in verse 16. Once again, you might be wondering, it's not fair now. Get a, a Greek concordance and look through, right? The Bible was written in English. The word walk in verse 25 is not the walk in verse 16. It's a similar idea, but there's a slight variation that Paul wants you to pay attention to. Remember in verse 16, I told you the word peripetal, meaning to the, the summary, the 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 circumference or the perimeter in quote of your life your life is regulated by the spirits in verse 25 is the word stokeo it literally means to match in step with or to keep in step with think of the idea of a match band where everyone is timing each other and they are they maintain that um that unity or that um that pattern they are marching in step so what is Paul saying? You live in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. So the Spirit is going to be leading you to do certain things. Or you, the Spirit will be at work in you doing certain things. March. March along. Follow. Follow through. So it's like a response. You are simply mirroring the Spirit in you. Or you are allowing the, the work of the Spirit in you to be evident. That's what he's saying. Amen. So if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Now remember what we said in verse 16. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not keep the loss of the flesh. It's not possible. You can't do both. You can't be walking in love at the same time be walking in hatred. Doesn't make sense, right? If you live in the Spirit, you will not keep the loss of the flesh. So, sorry, if you walk in the Spirit rather. So since you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. And he goes on in verse 26. What does he say? Let us not become conceited. Remember I told you that your, you, you, the, the influence you live by, one of the greatest proofs or the greatest signs would be in your relationship with people. So if you walk in the flesh, it would show because there will be contention, there will be disagreements, there will be fights, there will be struggles. And that's why he says, let us not become conceited. Let us not provoke one another. Let us not envy one another because our, our walk, it heavily affects our relationships with people. If you walk in the Spirit, it will be shown in the relationships by which you live by. It goes on in Galatians 6 verse 1. And just by way of point, I think it's good I mentioned this, and I don't think I've mentioned it before, is that the Bible, or the, these letters were written as letters. They were not written in chapters and verses. Paul was not saying Galatians 6 verse 1. Brethren, no, that's not what Paul was doing. He's just writing. Years later, we added chapters and verses for ease of reference or to help break down things. And so sometimes it would even do you a world of good to read without, because sometimes we have this idea that when I go to the next chapter, Paul is about to start saying something. Subconsciously, it's been built into our minds when we read, and it doesn't help most times it doesn't help so don't just go to galatians 6 verse 1 and say mm, we have finished galatians 5 now we're doing galatians 6 yes by virtue of chapter we might be entering a new chapter 
but it doesn't mean we're entering a new topic. It doesn't mean Paul is suddenly changing his thoughts. No. And you're going to see now why I said this. So Galatians 6 verse 1, what does he say? Brethren, if any man or if any woman is overtaken in any trespass, you who are or sorry, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. So he said, if anyone um falls into sin, or if anyone is overtaken in a fault, meaning if anyone, any believer you see slips right maybe he performs one of these things i just listed as works of the flesh that christians should not walk in what does he now say you who are spiritual who are those who are spiritual this is where context will help you the answer is in the last chapter so if you forgot what you read in the last chapter you would have no idea what he's saying here the, the word there spiritual um, spiritual is pneumaticos it means to be of the spirit so who are those who are spiritual? Of course, those who walk in the spirit that he just finished explaining. So those who walk in the spirit will be those who would restore those who maybe they, they made, they slipped up. And he says what? Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Question, where was gentleness mentioned? Galatians 5.23 As a fruit of the spirit. Do you see why it is those who are spiritual that can restore? Because it is them that have the fruits to show for their work in the spirit. So it is those ones. So when you say, ah, this person is spiritual. A spiritual person is a person who is led of the spirit to not just live in the spirit, but walks in the spirit. Amen. So you see in 1 Corinthians 3, for instance, verse 1 to 3, Paul will be like, I wanted to write to you, um, but you guys were still babes. You were carnal. He says when there's envy, when there's strife, when there's contention, things he listed as works of the flesh. He says what? Are you not carnal? So in this context, the carnal believer is the believer who still gives occasion to the works of the flesh. Remember I said that's, it. that's not the same category as those who practice such things. That's a different category altogether. But there are times where it's not desirable, it's not even encouraged, but it is possible that there might be certain believers who maybe due to careless devotion or whatever, or um, um, bad environment, they don't pay attention to their environment, they may walk in the flesh or exhibit acts of works of the flesh. They are carnal. Who is the spiritual believer? The person who consistently learns to walk in the spirit. And he says, these are the ones that should restore. So, you, you, you see that there is a place in which when you see people falling, what is your response? You restore. You don't condemn. You don't mock. Because why? We are all on the same playing field. The, the ability for me to live above the flesh is not because I'm better than you. It's because, it's, it's, it's because one said yes to the Spirit. The other one Sometimes he did his guys. He used to say no sometimes. <laughs> right? So the idea basically is that, let's say for instance, someone paid for something for two people. Or if someone paid for something for me and for another person, I allowed the, I, I allowed the person to pay for me and I, I actually got it. And let's say someone else didn't. And he still doesn't have it. And now, I, when I see that, I start bragging. And I even go as far as calling that other person poor. 
because he doesn't have what I have. That's a very stupid statement because we are both poor. We could not afford it, right? Both of us, Nadash, they, dash, <laughs> they both gave us. None of us bought it with our own money. None of us earned it. And so if you truly are thinking, the best thing you would do is to let them see that, ah, they paid for you too now. We are both poor, but ah, you to at least try, go and collect what they paid for. That's the idea. So if you have learned to give the Spirit freedom in your life, if you have learned to live by the agency of the Spirit, when you see someone who is still struggling to walk in the Spirit, because he has the Spirit of God, what do you do? You restore them in gentleness and with a reflection on yourself that it's not because I'm better than this person. It's not because I have something this person does not know. No. This person is simply hasn't learned to yield to the Spirit. So what will be your job? You would hold their hand to help them walk in the Spirit. Paying attention to that it's not because I'm better. I'm not, it's not, I'm not above this fault. Me too, I still wake up every day trusting in the work of, in the work of God in my life. Does that make sense? I remember this analogy that uh, my pastor gave. He, he, he talked about the story of a friend, oh sorry, someone in the church reached out to him that he was going through addictions and stuff like that. And what was the solution? He invited him over every day. They would pray and study together. Every day pray and study together. And I think in like a week or so, it's like, Pastor, I've never thought of this thing for a week. The thoughts are gone. It doesn't even come to mind. Why? Because like we read in Galatians 5, verse 16, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if we see a believer who is still fulfilling the lust of the flesh, what do we do? Help them walk in the spirit. Does that make sense? Amen. So that's what we do. We create that supporting environment we, we, that would give the spirit expression. We help them walk in the spirit. And I'll start to, to um, run from here. It says, bear one another's burdens. He's saying it again. Be concerned for one another. Bear one another's burdens. You see someone who is not living like he should. Don't just say, ah, Christians of now are days. <laughs> no. Reach out to your brother. Reach out to your sister. I, I, I noticed you've been shouting a lot more. I noticed you are more you are you are angry. It's it's what's the matter? If the person needs, you can even volunteer. Oh, let's be praying together. If you because at the end of the day, the root would always be that they've not been walking in the spirit. Ask how's your devotion been? How's Bible study been? How's prayer? Do you still meditate on the Word of God? One of those three answers has to be no. <laughs> it's not possible. It's not possible. Right? Do you still meditate on the word of God? Are you surrounded by Christian friends who encourage godly lifestyle? And then you can come alongside and help. Bear one another's burdens. It says, fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. So that's what he's saying. Bear one another's burdens. John 13, 34. Fulfilling the law of Christ. He says, if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And of course, this will be in the context of what we've read in verse 1 and 2. First of all, when it comes to helping people or seeing yourself above sin or whatever like that, 
it says you are deceiving yourself right if you think that you are somehow above all this we're all we're all made out of the we're all in we're all fallible we are all trusting in the spirit of god to live every day and so when you see a brother sin you remember that it could have been me for a christian to have superiority complex is self-deception you are not seeing who you are clearly because you should never think that bearing other people's faults or all of that is beneath you you should never so also you should never evaluate yourself in light of the failures of others so for instance if you are a minister of the gospel and everybody let's say you, you are surrounded by minister friends that have messed up in one way or the other you now start to say hmm, i'm different we're built different right right God called us. You are, you are, you are nothing. You are deceiving yourself. You are deceiving yourself. So never at any point think to be in quotes above the ability to sin or above helping others because it would show. The first one would show in the second. If for some reason you think your love, your your walk in the spirit or your walk above sin is somehow built by your own ability, you would subconsciously start to be condescending when you see people who don't live up to the standard of christ because you're like ah why are you like this come up higher you don't know it yet but you, you yourself you've allowed pride to kick in at the end of the day remember the agency that allows us to live righteous every day it's not because we wake up and there's some willpower that we over of our own ability generate and say today i will not sin today no we wake up every day and trust in, the, in the, the ability that the Spirit of God provides. Remember I said it's fruits. We trust in the... So we don't work love. We don't work patient. I, I will be patient. I will be joyful. No. We trust in the work of the Spirit and we give it expression. That way you see love grow. You see peace grow. Amen. Amen. It's so important. Think about it think just thinks <laughs> anyways that's the idea that's the idea that you you at the end of the day we're the same the reason i live above sin is not because there's anything of my own ability to be to to overcome sin i simply trust in the ability of god and you've not learned to do so as much so all i do is i help you to trust i help you to walk because i'm not any better amen amen so it goes on in verse 4. It says, let each one examine his own work. Do you see that? And then he would have rejoicing in himself alone, not in another. So this is talking about rejoicing in the failures of others. You are surrounded by people that somehow haven't learned to walk in spirit. And you are now feeling like, let's say you still have imperfections in your own life. But because it's blinded by, you know, there's that, there's that, there's that thing in human beings. You get 40 in a test and you're like, oh my goodness, I've failed. I would, let me confess, I've done it a lot because growing up, I, I let's not get into my black story, but let's say I get 14 eaters. I'm like, ha, ah, how can I get 14 eaters? This is not me. This is not me. And then I ask some people, ah, I got 21. I'm like, okay, okay. I ask another, ah, 23. And then results come out and it turns out the highest in class was maybe 50 and I was second. Immediately, any trace of of condemnation it leaves because i have compared myself not by the standard of the test but by the standard of others 
even if my parents would say, ah, Daniel, why did you score 40? I'm like, ah, mommy, you, you don't understand, though. The, the test was hard. Even number, I was second in class. You can't be complaining. <laughs> we do that a lot. We do that a lot. And that's what we now subconsciously try to bring in into the body of Christ. That you, you are getting, in your own walk in the spirit, you are, still, you are still getting 40 over 100. There's still a lot you need to correct. But because you are surrounded by people who haven't even left the base, let's say they, they, they still shout, they still everything. And like, I'm not that bad. So you think you, you have learned to, no, that's what he's saying. Examine yourself. So that you will be able to rejoice that, yes, the, work, the, the, um, the spirit of God works in me. Not because I'm better than my neighbor. Exactly, I better than my neighbor. Not because I, I'm better than my neighbor. Because, but because by the lens of the word of God, I see myself measuring up to the, to the standard of Christ. That is what you should be checking. Not what has... Have, they say, how many of you have read your Bible today and you're the only one that is there? You know, like, hmm, yes, yes. I'm a, I'm a student of the word. No, that's not it, right? It says, for each one shall bear his own load. Meaning, at the end of the day, you will not be measured against the standard of others. You can't say, ah, but God, everyone in my school did it. Right? Examine yourself. Don't give in to the flesh. Don't allow yourself glory when you compare to others. Amen. He now goes on in verse 6. Let he who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. This is a verse that many good teachers of the word hesitate to teach. So it doesn't look like we're begging for money. <laughs> but the idea is, if someone teaches you the word, um, you should share in all good things. Whether it's love, care, support, finance, if necessary, and all of that with him who teaches. Right? It says, do not be deceived. God is, I would, if you notice, I just glossed over. I'm one of those people to say that. Would, <laughs> so it doesn't look like, okay, I'm not going to say Anyways, let's go on. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he would also reap. <laughs> There's so much to say on this. But I'll read to verse 10 and then I'll go back to it. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And I took up took out that entire block because the context is the same all through. The idea is there is a give and return process in which the things you invest in will show in your life. So for instance, in verse 8, a person who consistently sows into his flesh who consistently yields to the lust of the flesh, it would show in the outcome of his life, even both in, in, our, in the now and in the life to come. So for instance, the unbeliever who consistently chooses to give into the flesh, you will notice, what does it show? It is in, in this, just look at society today. Broken homes, broken relationships, hurt everywhere. You look at how bad sin has made the world. You look at things like rape. You look at things like war. You look at things like what, what hatred can drive a person to do. Even things as little as office politics, where you literally intentionally bring a person down at your expense. 
sorry at at bring a person down so that you can advance the career like or things that you just see just Paul doesn't need to even there's nothing to explain just look around you you can see the effects of a world that has consistently sowed to the flesh and that's what Paul is saying even as a believer if you choose to walk in the flesh if you choose to consistently give occasion to the flesh you would start to see for instance you can decide to to live a wayward life and at the end of the day your body rots you can decide to 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 be contentious to be envious jealousy selfish ambition and you lose every form of healthy relationships you once had and conversely if you sow to the spirit you would reap everlasting life both now remember i told you that the experience is not just some fire away thing that oh i've gotten saved and now i just wait till i either die or christ returns and then i start to, to enjoy life it starts now so those who sow in the spirit you would start to see healthy relationships for many of you i'm sure you can say the same thing many of your christian your closest christian friends the relationship is so strong that without it you will not be anywhere today you can see that that and that 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 experience that you can't find anywhere else outside Christ. Relationships that are built by love, that are strong, that are selfless. You look at Christian marriages and how they are meant to be, because both parties should choose to consistently walk in the spirit with one another. That's what he's saying. If you sow to the spirit, and ultimately a person who does this, who walks in the spirit, who lives in the spirit will inherit eternal life that's the idea so we see the idea of sowing and reaping in your conduct there's also in the idea in which if you continually do good and of course it goes without saying that paul is not restricting this to money he's not saying if you put give god hundred dollars god will give you a thousand dollars that's not what he's saying of course there could be material rewards he's not excluding it what i'm saying is he's not limiting it to that many people just see this and the only thing we think about is how can i how can i use god as my next investment platform that's not what he's saying the idea there is simple is that the the continual output of our lives eventually would reflect in the long it will count and so don't lose heart when you consistently choose good don't lose heart when you consistently share with people that teach you don't lose heart when you consistently do good to believers why because it will count at the end that's what he's saying it will count eventually you will see the outcome eventually and whether that would be in material givings even here or material um benefits even here on earth of course we we trust god because he's our father not because we gave but yes there there could be rewards for giving even in the material paul himself said that people will pray for you paul did pray for people in philippians 4 that because you bless me god shall supply all your needs according to his riches so yes there could be the boy's way the, the scope is way beyond that way beyond that way beyond that amen now we start to round up out um we have just a few verses left he says see what see with what large letters i have written to you with my own hand kind of like an authenticity that yes i paul wrote this so usually let me just a bit of historical background what would happen many times is that scribes would be the ones writing so paul would probably be dictating and maybe timothy or a scribe or someone would write 
but somewhere in the letter paul probably maybe writes his name or something to show that yes it's actually from paul authenticity purpose in verse 12 it says as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh those are the ones that will compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of christ and what paul is even saying now we start to see to pay attention he's going back to these false guys and he's talking about their motivation for ministry so for many of themselves they're not even just teaching this because they believe in it strongly or it's a theological position many of them just want to avoid being persecuted from the jews or persecuted by the jews so they preach um, they they don't want to suffer for the cross of christ they don't want to suffer for preaching the gospel remember galatians 1 10 what did paul say i don't i'm not trying to please man because if i was i would not be a servant of christ and so we see people who are not servants of Christ because it clearly shows that they are simply trying to please men. And we see it today. We see people that, people that are meant to be ministers of the gospel, but just so that they don't get cancelled by society, you would permit certain things that the word of God really doesn't. All to do what? To make a good showing in the flesh. To make a good showing in the flesh. So we see people who choose to preach be circumcised just so that their jewish brethren will not persecute them that should not be the heart of any minister of the gospel it should be the heart of any christian more so someone that preaches the gospel no nothing in you should appeal to the standards of men nothing nothing in you should appeal to the praise of men your heart should be whether or not men approve whether or not the world approves i will preach christ I will present the offense of the cross as as scandalous as it is. I will stand with the cross of Christ no matter who turns their back to walk the other way. Now look at what it says. For even them that are circumcised, these false teachers um, keep the sorry, For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So he says that these guys don't even obey all the rest of they, 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 they are not even patiently or consistently trying to even, even if it's not possible they don't, even, they don't do it they don't do it they just want to boast in your flesh they just wanted a long list of followers to say ah you emoji how many people have you gotten circumcised this year Twenty thousand. ah god called you or something stupid like that that's the idea they just want to boast that we've been able to to gather this number of people so what is paul talking about so far i'm re-emphasizing it because we'll soon get to a verse that you need to know why it says what it says he's talking about motivation for ministry so far number one is what fear of persecution number two is what crowd or following let's go on verse 14 he says but god forbid that i should boast except in the cross of our lord jesus by whom the world has been crucified to me and i to the world so basically saying any desire to please the world has has gone has died the same way vice versa any desire of the world for me the world doesn't even like me because i don't stand by its ideals so the world is dead to me and i'm dead to the world i don't want the world (laughs) the world doesn't want me and that's fine jesus said if they hated me they would hate you too. No one is greater than their master. 
So the world and the systems of this world have already been built to resist everything Christ stands for. And any Christian, more so any minister of the gospel, must, must always be armed with that mindset that I am dead to the world and the world is dead to me. What does the idea of death mean? You are unresponsive. You cannot be influenced by anything. Right? You can't be in, unless it's um, Disney. It's Snow White when they will kiss you and you're dead and you wake up. <laughs> Look, that's um, necrophilia. You're kissing dead people. We didn't think about it when we were kids. But no, Wahala. But the idea is, I'm dead to the world. The world is dead to me. So I cannot live to gain its approval. I can't live by its dictates. I don't care. Basically, that's what Paul is saying. I will boast in the cross and I will boast with my full chest. Amen. Amen. Don't forget what the theme is. Ministry. 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 I love what this commentary said. He says, um, that person is spoiled as far as the world is concerned because he is no longer interested in fleeting pleasures. The world has lost its attraction for him because he has found the one who completely satisfies. So it's a two-way thing. The world doesn't desire me, I don't desire. Let's just go our separate ways. It says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. So you can highlight Galatians 6.15. That is the summary of the entire book of Galatians. That if Paul was to say everything in Galatians in a few words or in one sentence, this is it right here. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor circumcision, meaning works, they avail nothing but a new creation. Meaning you've been made a new creature in Christ and it shows in how you live. It shows in how you live. Now look at what he says. For as many that walk according to this rule. So that's, that's the principle of Christian living. It's not, none of us can earn this. None of us can do this of our own ability. There is nothing we can do to live the life of God. There is nothing we can do to inherit the promise of Christ. It says it's a new creature. As many that walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Upon the Israel of God. Of course, what does that mean? Is it remember this thing is a very it's 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 the whole idea of you have to become an Israelite even after you've been saved. Paul tells you the true Israelites are those who are in Christ, whether you are Jew or Gentile. The true Israel was the Israel of God or the Israel that will be found in Christ. Amen. Remember he talked about it in Galatians 3 verse 7 that only those, I love how he said, only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. So that's what he says. The Israel of God will be the new creator in Christ. Glory to God. So say, I'm, I am a citizen of the Israel of God. I'm a citizen of the Israel of God. Amen. Amen. And when he says, peace be on them and upon the Israel of God, this is going to come in very handy. When he says and, he's not talking about two different people. So he's not saying, peace be on those that keep this rule and peace be on the Israel of God. No. This is the common Greek usage of the word that was translated and it's the word kai. And it either means, um, it could either be cumulated. So get me a book and a pen. So those are two different things. Or it could be emphatic, right? 
meaning it's emphasizing something or it's explaining something even more saying the same thing in two different ways so you need to be you need to be um, conscious when you read the word and in the bible and read in context are two things being mentioned or is it the same thing being said twice if it's the same thing being said twice, you can read it as even so it's basically saying peace and mercy be upon those who keep this rule even the, the israel of god even the israel of god amen amen it's similar to when god jesus in john 3 was saying unless you are born of water and spirit he's not saying if you don't get he's not saying um water baptism is a requirement to salvation if that's what you think he's saying everything we've said in galatians you did not understand <laughs> so, that is not what he's saying he is saying born of water even the spirit he's saying the same thing in two different ways he explains what water means so remember john was baptizing with water he says but he who is to come remember i said but i love that word so much he says i baptize with water but the one coming after me he is greater than me he will baptize you with the holy ghost and with fire so john's baptism was a pointer so water baptism by john was a pointer to spirit baptism by christ does that make sense that's why jesus would say unless you are born of water even the spirit hope that's clear we're not doing journey through the gospel so <laughs> maybe that will happen eventually but that's not what we're doing but that's i just wanted to point that there so verse 17 so far what is paul's emphasis ministry so he says in verse 17 from now on let no one trouble me for I bear in my body the marks of our Lord Jesus. Do you now see what he's saying? So let no one question the motivations of my ministry. Let no one disturb me about the authenticity of my apostleship. Let no one disturb me about the message that I preach. Let no one trouble me about the, about the, moti- about the motive. rather. It's not for crowd. I'm not trying to gain a following. It's not so that I would avoid persecution because he clearly says, for I bear in my body. So literally, when he says the marks of the Lord, he's not talking about some spiritual heal over your head. He's literally saying, I have suffered physically in my body. is <laughs> literal. There's no figurative anything here. I have been persecuted for the Lord. So the suffering shows that there is nothing in it for me. I'm not doing this for my own for my own glory. I'm doing this because it's true. That's why I said if you've been paying attention, he's contrasting the motivation of the false teachers and himself. They want a following. They want to avoid persecution. Paul has fully embraced persecution. He has fully embraced the full weight of standing by the word of God. And he says, let no man trouble me because the marks on my body i think some transitions will say scars i think the nlc says yes for i bear on my body the scars that show i belong to jesus that's what he's saying amen so no one should disturb me about my motivation no one should have any idea that paul is coming up with strange things he has proven his apostleship <clears throat> he has proven the gospel he has proven the m- motivation of his ministry it's for christ is for christ glory to god so it's not saying <clears throat> we're going to end in five minutes i promise it's not saying <clears throat> that no demonic force can overcome me because i now identify with christ that's a very common interpretation today that's not what that verse means now question is that true for the man in christ yes it is 
You have victory over demonic forces because you identify with Christ. But is that what that verse is saying? No. And we need to be very careful with this, especially as we start to grow in our understanding of the word. In a bit to properly exegete a text, an idea might be valid scripturally, but wrong contextually. Does that make sense? The idea might actually be supported in scripture, but the, the, the context through which you try to explain it will be wrong. And so what you do in that case when you find such things out is be gentle, explain clearly, don't be dismissive, right? Don't be dismissive. You can say, yes, your idea is right, but that is not what it is saying. Another common example is the whole all things work together for good, right? There's the idea of, oh, I lost my job and you tell, ah, don't worry, all things work together for good. <laughs> Quoted from Romans 8. When you read in context, you'd realize that that's not what Paul was saying. Can God bring about earthly testimonies from dark times? Yes, he can. And he often does. But is that what Romans or Paul was saying when he said all things work together for good? No. And when we get to Romans, we'll see that. You need to answer what all things means. You need to answer what good means. If I tell you, I can do all things. This Paul saying I can, I can be a pilot, I can jump off a moving plane and not die. No. You read in context. So we need, to, we need to understand that there might be certain ideas that may be scripturally valid but contextually inappropriate. This is an example of that. Yes, in Christ, you, are, you, can over, you have overcome and you can enforce your authority over demonic forces, over all of that. Because you identify with Christ. Because the seal of the Holy Spirit is within you. But that's not what this verse is saying. Paul is speaking about his ministry. And why it stands the test. Because it has been proven by persecution. Amen. So, final verse. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. That's the, I, love that, I love that greeting. Paul does it a lot. It's the influence of God in the regenerate hearts. The influence of God in the regenerate hearts. The grace of the Lord be with your spirit. Amen. I think that's even a beautiful place to end. So, any questions before I summarize and then we call it a day. Sorry I went 15 minutes over time. It's because there's just a lot so much. Yes, Tiffy, please ask your question. When a Christian falls away or leaves the faith at some point, what happens to the Holy Spirit in them? Considering that the Spirit is a sealed deposit. <laughs> All right. So, Tiffany, <clears throat> you're going to have to do something for me. <laughs> I am not going to answer this question completely now because it's not going to be within the scope of everything that we've answered. I promise you in Hebrews, I will do this well. Okay, Shay, I'm going to do that. That's within the context. Um, <clears throat> but if you remember what I said when I was explaining the idea of falling away, I said Paul and all of Scripture teaches that we can be confident that no believer, no believer will fall into that category. And the reason was because they were trusting in the agency of God at work in the believers. So you can summarize that saying that no apostle in the, in, in the Bible 
ever believed that any true believer would fall away? No apostle. The question then would be, so when people who identify with Christ fall away today, what happened? <clears throat> because at the end of the day, being a good Bible student is learning to stand with the word over experience or over so you don't you don't see in quote a believer falling away and start saying ah therefore the bible is wrong no you first of all understand what the bible says and when you now see in quote a christian a professing christian falls away you now say the bible can't be wrong therefore what exactly happened here that is when you are starting to look at it the right way <clears throat> When people backslide, what does backslide mean? If you can't, please type, type the definition. <coughs> type what you think backslide means. But again, what am I saying? Whenever things like this were written, it's written to a group of people, thousands of people who identify with Christ. Will every one of them in that congregation truly have believed the gospel? Another question. When a pastor preaches on a Sunday morning, is everyone in that congregation born again? Is everyone in that congregation, have they put their faith in Christ? The answer is no. And so, for instance, when, it, when, when you see texts like this, you should bear in mind that there will be people who will actually leave the church to follow the Judaizers. Does that mean they fell away from the faith? Go to 1 John 2. Go to 1 John 2. And I don't want to dwell so much on this because it's not the time for it. But 1 John 2 verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. He now says, but you have an anointing. In verse 27, he says, you will abide in him. So there's a contrast. So yes, scripture does make provision for people who identify with the church to leave the church. What does John say? What does John say? If they were of us, they would have continued with us. So the reason believers, I mean, look at, um, and I didn't want to get I didn't want to get <clears throat> get so much into this, but it's it's I think we could we could we could look at a few we could look at a few verses, right? But um hold on, I even I didn't um the idea is look at again I said look at all we've read. The apostles are confident that no one who truly identified, and we saw that in the idea of we, you, Paul uses those pronouns. No one who truly identifies with Christ will fall away. Look at look at um, um, first, Second Corinthians one verse twenty one. He who has, who he who establishes you with Christ, sorry, he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us with God. Look at First Peter. We are kept. Right? We are kept by faith. We are kept by faith. So the idea there is, and I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to do this because it's going to take time, and I don't want to also leave the question hanging. 
But like I said in summary, the question is, the apostles, from what we've read so far, just a few verses in, in um, Galatians, in Philippians, in Hebrews, and in John, even now in Peter, if you still don't believe me, we can possibly open it, right? Um, 1 Peter 1 verse 5, or 1 Peter 1 verse 3 to 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, who has begotten us to a living hope, given us an inheritance, who are kept by the power of God, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's an idea in which we are kept by the power of God. Jude 24, unto him who is able to keep us from what? From stumbling. Unto him who is able to keep us from stumbling. So there is Paul, Peter, Jude, John, the writer of Hebrews, all trust that the believer will not fall because God is keeping him. So the question is, if that then happens, what is the explanation? The God the God, uh, there were too many children in hand and one of them fell. Jesus said in John 10, not one of them will be lost. Not one of them will be lost. So the question that should come to mind is what then happens? John has already given you a start to think. If they were with us, they would have stayed. Look at the parable of the sower. Right? Some fell on rocky soil. Sorry, some fell on the road. Birds came and even ate that one. He said some fell on rocky soil. but it, And as it started to grow, and um, when it didn't develop roots, the sun came, persecution, and it fell away. It said some grew amongst wheat and it was choked out by the cares of this world. And they fell away. And then finally, category four, I like to call it the category four believer. <laughs> the ones that received the gospel in good hearts, it says they endured, they bore fruit, some 50, some 100. At the end of the day, in Jesus' parable of the sower, only one persevered the three that didn't or the two rather the rocky soil and the one that um, eventually had no roots look at it carefully even from the moment it seems like they first believed there was no roots so Jesus said they will go enjoy for a while but they'll fall away because there was no roots amen so it was you would never see a case of in the category four believer the person that it was a good soil the plants that it is no they bore fruits so those that fell away, it's either, even since the start, it was shallow or it was never play, received in good faith. So Paul, for instance, would say, unless you believe in vain. So you will not find anywhere, even when you find references to believers falling away, the idea is that they always said, we are confident that this is not, it doesn't apply to you. Does that help? I, I don't want to do a full-on teaching yet. When we get to Hebrews, you would see it clearly. But does that help? <clears throat> does that help? All right. Thank you. If you have any more questions, you can even reach out to me. I think you have my number already. And I would gladly have a full-on conversation. But because, um, <clears throat> because, of the <clears throat> because of the entire time and everything, I want to be very respectful of everyone's time. The second question um, I, I don't know if you can please put the link for the recording and put the link for my number. I would appreciate that. Thank you. The second question that was asked um, by Shay, can I explain the difference in the walk in verse 16 and 25? Sure. Um, let's go back to Galatians 5, um, 16 and 25. I said the first one, Paul says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I explained that the word there were peripetal, 
It's the idea of a life regulated by the Spirit. It's talking about the entire context of your life. It's not just, um, it's the, when you say, oh, this person in his walk of life, this is his walk of life, the way, it's lifestyle, basically, lifestyle. I think that's the easiest word we're looking for. When you are regulated by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, or you can say, since we live in the Spirit, rather, let us walk in the Spirit. And I said that word, that word there's to kill, is the word to keep in step with. So in that one, it's the idea of, it, it brings about the idea of you are responding to something. If any of you have ever marched before, you remember you are told to always look at your line so that you are never ahead, you are never behind, you are on the same line at every point in time. That is what stoikeo means. You are always responding to whatever the Spirit is doing. And I didn't say it has two distinct meanings. I said they are tied. But Paul uses a subtle change in his use of the words to pass on a distinct message. In the idea in which, in the first one, he's not saying two different things. Basically, in the first one, he's saying, a life regulated by the Spirit will not fulfill the loss of the flesh. In the second one, he's saying, since you have the Holy Spirit in you, respond to the Holy Spirit. So, of course, the application will still be the same. That as you do so, over time, you will be a person that walks in the Spirit. Does that make sense? As you consistently learn to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, oh, you did something, ah, I shouldn't have done this. You come back, you fall into line. You are responding. You are learning to stoicale with the Spirit of God. As you continually do this, as you build up this life, you peripetal in the Spirit. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, Say Okay, oh, yes, awesome. So, awesome. So, yes, any other questions before we call it a day? Any other questions before we call it a day? Awesome. So, thank you so much. We have successfully finished Galatians. (laughs) And go over this again. Read the book again. Pay attention to the lessons we've learned. It's so important. The reason I started with this is because it forms a bedrock for the rest of your Christian experience. Christ alone saves. Christ alone saves. And the result of Christ saving you is a life by the Spirit. You receive the promise of Abraham, that's the Spirit of God, through faith. And now you walk accordingly. And as believers, we should never for once compromise the integrity of the gospel in our own lives or even in the lives of others. As a minister of the gospel more so, you are pledged to uphold the message of the cross. You are not to please any man. Amen. Glory to God. So on that note, let's pray and call it a day. Our Father and our God, thank you so much for an amazing time in the Word. Thank you for the book of Galatians. Thank you for the lessons learned. Thank you that we even have access to these resources, that we even have a platform to discuss these truths. I pray that everything we've discussed so far is established in the hearts of everyone who has listened and would eventually listen to the recordings. I pray that you you help us to keep in step with your spirit, to live lives that are regulated by your spirit. And as we do so, to see the fruits 
that accompany it to grow and, and be evident in our, in our relationship with others. Thank you for your word. I pray that there is grace to stand firm and to stand by the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. So, I love you all. Um, next week, surprise, I will not be telling... Okay, no. Should I? Okay, next week, we'll be going to the book of Ephesians. We'll be going through the book of Ephesians. And there's, there's a lot. I'm excited. I love Ephesians. I love it just so much. So much. So, um, tell your friends, come on time. And don't worry, we're going to end as we're meant to. Today was um, longer, but it, it's allowed. Thank you for bearing with me and thank you for staying. Um, awesome. I will see you all next week, Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. All right, guys, have a great week. Bye.